Hello, welcome back to the podcast. We are in Matthew chapter 5, 7 through 20 as we continue our journey with the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, practicing Jesus' sermon, that, that's the focus. We're trying to look at what does it look like to live this out, uh, not, not striving to live it out perfectly, but to practice it and to continue to perfect it. You'll, you'll never reach that perfection but you will strive to live out the calling of Jesus, to, to be people of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has proclaimed. Uh, you're called out to live this sermon. So when Jesus calls you to follow him, uh, what does that mean to follow him? So Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 20, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this this teaching uh, from Jesus seems to contradict a lot of uh, the long-held beliefs of what it means to be saved by grace. Does Jesus want us to follow the law perfectly? I thought Jesus came to abolish the law. I thought Jesus uh, set us free from the law so that we don't have to follow the law. I mean, that's what Paul talks about. And this is a struggle um, to understand what Jesus is is addressing here. Uh, Throughout my time as a minister, uh, being someone who's I've committed my adult adult life to studying the Bible, church history, and theology. I keep coming back to this struggle and debate between grace versus law. It's hard to get away from it. You know, this debate, while it is a very important debate, is often oversimplified. uh, And we dismiss it with little turns of phrase. um, And we don't probe too deep into the actual complexities of the discussion. There is a tendency to simplify the question is simply, what must I do to be saved? When we place the conversation in this mindset, we sometimes slide into an approach uh, to following Jesus where he invites us to follow him. And then we respond with, okay, what's the least I have to do in order to be called your follower? And so this is a question of... um, seriousness of, of how how seriously do we want to follow Jesus do we do we simply want what Jesus has to offer do we simply want the grace without discipleship do we want um, Jesus's blessing without anything expected of us uh, and so you say that there's a tension in the Christian walk because our entrance into the kingdom is of no cost to us There's no way that you can earn receiving the Holy Spirit. There's no way that you can 
earn entrance into the kingdom of heaven. There's no way that you can earn grace. Jesus paid it all. He paved the way for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But then he calls us to follow him. Uh, he asks us for every part of ourselves. Uh, every ounce of our being is to follow him. Jesus simply asks for everything. And, and this is difficult. Um, in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls you, he bids you come and die. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Bonhoeffer challenged the church of his day. This is back in the rise of uh, Nazi Germany. But he challenged the church of his day uh, to not fall into cheap grace, as he calls it, where baptism does not require repentance and communion does not require confession. Uh, when we have no expectations of ourselves or one another, uh, because we're all saved by grace, we, we miss what Jesus calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not against the law, but is countering ways in which the law was interpreted amongst the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in his time. So Jesus isn't against it. He, he comes to bring it fulfillment. So one of the biggest issues with the law uh, in the church is that we have often constructed outward-focused rules for distinguishing who the true followers of Christ are. And these markers uh, seem to change from one generation to the next and rarely translate from one culture to the next. Uh, in my experience, people put on the good face around their Christian friends and at church on Sunday. Uh, but are rarely challenged to become more like Christ. We put on a good show of it. Uh, these markers often do more to create a divide between us versus them rather than creating a community focused on following Christ on the journey of transformation into his likeness. And so what I mean by that is, you know, we, we often have... Um, whether written or unwritten expectations of what a true follower of Jesus looks like. And, and then we, uh, we culturally condition people to fit in by uh, putting those things on display. So there's this outward projection of what Christianity looks like. I think about um, uh, different stories I've heard from missionaries where uh, they've, they've gone into... Uh, different worlds and, and or different countries and different tribes and all, all kinds of places. And it's like, okay, well, you need to wear a shirt and tie on Sundays. That's how you show respect to God. And so they literally had to ship uh, ties to, you know, this village in Africa so that you know, the men can look like good Christian men. Uh, and so, you know, they're walking around in their uh, tribal attire throughout the week. And then on Sundays, they're wearing slacks, dress shirts, and ties because that is the proper attire of a Christian. Uh, and that's kind of a funny uh, example, but you know, we, we do that in our own culture. We have, uh, I, I remember the, the words, the cuss words that weren't acceptable in the church as a kid uh, are commonplace now. And um, 
Or you could say, I, I spent time in Scotland, and I'm, I'm getting off track a little bit, but I spent time in Scotland where uh, they would say an American cuss word on a regular basis without batting an eye. Uh, but, if they, but if you said arse, uh, they're like, whoa, why would you talk like that? Um, it's the same language, but the cultural implications of the words are very different. And so it's interesting how each culture and tribe uh, has different markers for what true faithfulness to Jesus is. But the whole point of this is you put on an outward expression of what it looks like to fit in as a Christian. And what Jesus is looking at is heart transformation. He wants to get into the inside in the Sermon on the Mount. He wants to get to the heart and say, let's transform your heart in the outward uh, expressions of that are going to look different. So there, there's a lot to talk about there. I would love to, um, if you have questions on some of that, uh, I would love to, to chat more about it if you want to shoot me an email. Um, and that's not to say that we shouldn't take sin seriously, because I know like people sometimes will take these comments and go to extremes. Um, Jesus still says, hey, murder is bad, but Murder is a, you know, when we talk about murder, there's a finger pointing that happens of, well, to murderers. Um, how's your anger doing, is what Jesus says. Uh, because really, you can only apply the Sermon on the Mount to you and how you're doing with it, rather than using it as a weapon for other people. So Jesus' fulfillment of the law takes the law to a level of transformation from the inside out. Uh, if we're merely trying to keep a set of rules in order to keep someone happy uh, or to receive a reward, uh, we're likely to fail. Uh, and when we do this, uh, the reason we like these rules is because, and these markers, is because it gives us a sense of control uh, where we can decide if we are good or not. And, and what Jesus says is, let, let go of that. Let me make you good. Uh, submit yourself fully, fully, every part of you to Jesus, and he will make you who he needs you to be. Um, we like having these lists of rules because it, it lets us know, okay, we're okay. But you, you're, you've been made good in Christ. That's, that's why the beginning of the sermon begins with blessing. You are blessed. So go and live out of that blessing. But if we allow the law to transform us from the inside out, we will find a new life in ways we never would have imagined. Grace is there when we fall short of what we're called to. Uh, the law Jesus gives in his sermon provides a structure for transformation. Uh, there's a an author, uh, he's, a, he's a monk in the, I think, the Franciscan uh, tradition named Richard Rohr. Uh, he has a book called Falling Upward. And I should give the disclaimer that I, some of the places he goes in his teaching makes me un uncomfortable in other books. Um, but this book is excellent. He's got a lot of excellent books. But, you know, there are, there are things I, I, I'm still... Uh, wrestling with with him. So there's my disclaimer on Richard Rohr. Um, but in this book, Falling Upward, he talks about two halves of life uh, where uh, 
the two halves of life, this is not chronological per se, where it's like, okay, once you hit 40, here's the second half of life. It's more of, um, there's a first part and a second part. That in the first part of your life, it needs to focus on building a structure for transformation in Christ. Uh, that, that you have clear lines uh, that guide, that keep you on the road. You have uh, clear markers that say, okay, now you're off the mark. And the second part of life, he talks about uh, it being a life of freedom where you, you no longer focus on the structure, but you're now living out of the structure, that the structure has now set you up for, for life, to live freely. Uh, and the problem, is, as he articulates it, is that many Christians never quite leave the first half of their life. Uh, they focus on the structure and they fight to protect it, and they never find their freedom in Christ to live. And in this fighting to protect it is that the structure eventually becomes something we worship. Uh, I want to think about that for a second. We, we create a, a rule of life or a law, and it's, it becomes about rigidly following that rather than it helping us follow and fall in love with Jesus. That the whole structure that we create or the rules we create for life should actually uh, bring us closer to Jesus so that we then walk with him and the laws are forgotten. Forgotten. Forgiven. Sorry. But yeah, the laws are forgotten eventually. But when we focus so much on the structure and then we apply that structure to others, um, we're no longer worshiping and following Jesus. We're worshiping and following our own laws. So practicing the Sermon on the Mount doesn't mean you'll do it perfectly. Um, that's where grace comes in. As you practice the sermon, you'll soon realize that you're no longer, you no longer notice the law and you'll be more focused on the life that it brings. Uh, and, and one of the things I would add to this is that when, when you're focused on what you are doing with the Sermon on the Mount, you have no time to focus on what others are doing. Uh, now, that's not to say that we don't hold each other accountable, but uh, so often we become meddlers in other people's lives and we say, uh, well, they're doing this wrong, or well, they're, you know, they, I don't like the words they use, or I don't like the, the actions they take, but we don't recognize the journey they're on, that, you know, they're, they're being transformed more and more, um, they've taken 10 steps in their transformation, but they're still 10 steps behind you and you've only taken one step. And so there, there's a journey that we're all on in transformation. And when we use the sermon to evaluate others rather than ourselves, uh, something about a plank and a speck of dust that Jesus talks about there. Um, but as we live out the sermon, we, we forget the structure and we find freedom and this freedom looks a little bit like this, and I, I, I like coming back to these examples in the beginning parts of the sermon. That when Jesus talks about murder and then says, well, how's your anger doing? Um, how, how are you doing with dehumanizing people through name-calling? He says, when you choose not to be angry, anger ceases to be your initial reaction. When you choose not to name-call people and you refuse uh, to let that be part of your life, you you fail to dehumanize them, uh, you and you 
more so see them as Christ sees them. And when you do these things, you become a person who's just not angry. Uh, you become a person of peace. And when you do this, you become free to live in that peace in a world that says you need to be angry. Uh, this doesn't mean you're not passionate. This doesn't mean you're, you don't care. It just means that uh, you, you trust that God is going to take care of these things as you engage them. But you're set free from the, the prison cell of anger that the anger keeps you in. And so as you work on this, on practicing the sermon and you, you allow the markers uh, of the structure to guide you into places of peace and love and joy, uh, you actually become free to live as people who are, who are not angry, who aren't going to engage in backbiting, who aren't going to engage in retaliation. Retaliation, the revenge game is a very exhausting game. And Jesus says, you don't, you don't actually have to live in that because the world needs to see something different. So you find fulfillment together and you find freedom in life together in practicing the law as Jesus calls us to follow him. I think I've been ending the podcast the same way uh, each week. I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. Let's practice the sermon together. I hope you all have a great week.